From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where Michelle discusses the issues of the day with The Conversation's politics team. Hi, my name's Amanda Darden. I'm the Politics and Society Editor for The Conversation, and I'm speaking with Michelle Grattan. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Amanda. Michelle, the long-awaited Defence Strategic Review is on its way to the Minister's desk this afternoon. Can you tell us a bit about what that review is about, and do you have any sense of what it might say? It's an overhaul of Australia's defence position and how ready we are or are not to meet the looming threats in the region. And we know that we are in a very dangerous position, especially in the medium term. The review's been done by Stephen Smith, a former Labor defence minister, and Angus Houston, who uh, previously headed the Australian Defence Force. So it's top shelf. We don't know, of course, the outcome, but I think that it will probably paint a picture of the need for major effort in the defence area that uh, means more spending and Jim Chalmers has recently been hinting at defence being a a budget priority. We do know that uh, a lot of projects have been running overtime and that uh, some projects have had to be recalibrated or changes made and different equipment looked for. So it is something that's going to be, I think, a matter of very major debate in coming weeks and months. And the government in question time today was criticising the former government on the defence front, saying that it had neglected Australia's interests. The defence minister said that it was the worst national security government in the nation's history, which was something of a big call and, uh, of course, interesting in that uh, the coalition has always really run hard on national security and painted itself as the uh, side of politics that particularly was preoccupied with national security. Now we see Labor claiming that ground back, saying that more needs to be done and that it has a plan yet to be seen, of course, to do it. Well, we will keenly await the release of that strategic review in the coming weeks. And we might see some part of it or or some of its uh, findings as early as next week because the Prime Minister has a National Press Club address planned for then and we're told it's about national security. All right. And yesterday, Michelle, the big news was that the government was fulfilling an election promise by allowing thousands of asylum seekers on temporary protection visas, or TPVs as they're known, to become permanent Australian residents. Now, this only applies to people who arrived before Operation Sovereign Borders was put into place, doesn't it? Yes, that's right. And uh, the government is hoping that this doesn't send the wrong signal to people smugglers. It's making a lot of effort, including advertising in the region, to make sure that it's saying, don't take this as a signal for people to get onto boats. Predictably, the opposition is saying that uh, it will send out messages. But I think on the evidence we have from after the election, when there was a a bit of a try-on on the new Labor government by the people smugglers, a, a few boats got underway, but they were turned back and the trade uh, was once again suppressed that time before it even uh, 
fully mobilised or mobilised to any significant extent at all. And I think that uh, the government is very prepared to make sure that uh, it's ready to turn back boats so that it should get away with this change of policy. And as you say, it's a change that reflects Labor's election commitment. And I think that it's a desirable measure because these people have been in limbo for a decade or more and couldn't really get on with their lives in a a full sense and they do deserve some certainty. All right and also yesterday Michelle Peter Dutton apologised in Parliament for not attending the government's apology to the stolen generations 15 years ago under the Rudd government. So far on the voice referendum, he's refused to say whether he's for or against the proposal and instead continually asks for more detail. This is becoming very difficult for him politically, isn't it? It is difficult for him, but on the other hand, of course, uh, this debate has many months to run because we now know that the referendum is uh, expected in the last three months of the year. Anthony Albanese has said recently... I think that uh, Peter Dutton is still very much betwixt and between. When we spoke about this last time, he seemed to be heading towards a no position. Many people think that's the case. Others think that uh, this apology he made this week might indicate that he's leaving the way open for a yes stance. But I think also, Amanda, it's become really clear that whatever position he adopts, and indeed if the Liberal Party adopts a, a formal no or yes position, you will see Liberal members on both sides of this debate. We already know that people like Bridget Archer, for example, and Andrew Bragg, New South Wales Senator, are very much on the record and being active in the yes case, the yes campaign, and others will be firmly on the no side. So I don't think that Peter Dutton would get a unified Liberal Party, whatever the decision. No, but it would be a bad look for him if he were to vote no on the referendum and then it was to go ahead and succeed, wouldn't it? It would have consequences if he had taken a no stand and it succeeded. It would have consequences indeed if it failed because he would get some of the blame for that. All right, Michelle, finally, uh, the Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe has come under intense criticism recently from some people for the latest interest rate hike, which was the ninth in succession. Is that criticism fair, do you think? Well, talking about blame, Philip Lowe has certainly copped a lot from commentators and uh, from some Labor members who are feeling the pain from constituents out there in the electorate. The governor left himself open to this when he indicated he expected interest rates wouldn't rise before 2024. Now, he was making a qualified comment to an extent, but of course people took this as gospel and made financial decisions, uh, took out home loans on the basis of this. So that's particularly come back to bite him. More generally, I think that some economists criticise the timing of uh, rate rises, thinking they should have been earlier, then you wouldn't have had to go up so much. And now, of course, we've had the latest statement from the bank, which indicates that there are two more rises in the pipeline. So as people become more 
financially pressured, the pain flows over into the political sphere. The government knows this and is very aware that at some point it will start to take blame. The debate about uh, the Reserve Bank and its governor is all taking place against the background of an inquiry into the bank and also the fact that the governor's term comes to an end later this year. So it would either have to be renewed or he moves on. I think that the consensus at the moment is that he almost certainly will be moved on, that there will be a new governor. To some extent, I think that the debate over the Reserve Bank policy is really reflecting mainly the pain of the electorate, but not necessarily a particularly fair critique of the bank because obviously uh, inflation has to be brought down and that's the bank's main objective and interest rates are of course its instrument in pursuing that objective. Now you can argue about the particular judgments of the bank but that's a sort of fine point in a way. We have this very high inflation, the government thinks that it's peaked but it's still going to be very high for quite a while and action has to be taken to curb that and these days the emphasis is on monetary policy to try to achieve that as fast as possible. All right Michelle great to speak with you as always thanks very much. Thanks Amanda. Our theme music is by Blue Dot Sessions. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.